I'm Soledad O'Brien. I am a journalist. I run a production company, so I'm a producer, an executive producer. I am a philanthropist and an author as well. I think you can teach someone or help them be outspoken, and it doesn't have to be rude and interruptive and obnoxious and nasty and unpleasant, which is sometimes how we, I think women especially, think of the word outspoken. I think you can be outspoken and be a really lovely person who helps bring consensus to a room and hears a lot of voices, so your voice is being heard, but it's not framed in an unpleasant way. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Soledad O'Brien is an award-winning broadcast journalist who tirelessly uses her platform to speak out despite the consequences. She explains how the media can serve as a powerful voice for women. You grew up as part of one of the only Afro-Cuban families in town. (laughs) What have you learned from that experience? Uh, I don't know that I learned anything until I was much older. Um, We definitely didn't fit in. And I think that there is a lot of value in figuring out how to navigate a space when you are kind of the odd man out. I think that's helpful. I think when you're a teenager growing up in Long Island and you don't really fit in, um, certainly demographically, then at the time, it doesn't feel like you're learning anything worthwhile. It's actually kind of awkward and painful. And middle school is hell, basically, regardless. So uh, I don't think I learned those lessons until I was a little bit older. And I think there's a lot of value in being an outsider, especially as a journalist. I think you, you can sort of be an insider, but also look at situations from the outside. And I think that's very helpful as a journalist. You learn how to tell stories about communities, but also figure out what's that real story of a community, what's the heart of it, and being inside and outside, I think, is really useful. Your first boss told you you were terrible on air. I feel like everybody's first boss tells them they were terrible on air. I feel like I've heard that story so many times. Yeah, And And probably because we are. Like, your first boss is like... I don't know. Some people could be way too harsh. They're not lying. (laughs) But how, how do you not let that discourage you? I'm trying to remember my my very first boss, the news director at WBZ-TV. He actually never said I was terrible on air, but he did say that he just I was too new. I and mean, he was actually very nice about it and that he just had no interest in putting on people who are completely inexperienced. So so, yeah, I was terrible, but he expected me to be terrible because I was a PA and that he didn't really see a, um, any kind of worth in taking young, inexperienced people and giving them platforms. Um It really wasn't until I was older and had actually been doing more on camera where people would feel, you know, perfectly free to weigh in on, I don't think you're good and I don't, you know, I don't think you're going to make it. And I think the lesson you learn from that is that they don't know. I mean, unless, really, I've had to tell a lot of young women especially, like, these people aren't doing it. They have no idea. And it's, I mean, we're not operating on people's brains. It's like, it's a learnable <laughs> skill, people. <laughs> Come on. And and I think I did have a lot of weird habits. I used to say, um, in every sentence. I used to tilt my head weirdly, which wasn't a problem until you were on camera. You know, so like, okay, so learn how to not do those things. It's not like I need you to diagram a molecule or I need you to, you know, it, what is the Pythagorean theorem or something? Like, it's, it's so easy, really, right? It's just these skills that you have to learn. And and that actually it's a kind of job where 
an apprenticeship, you know, working with really talented, smart people who hold you accountable for the work that you're doing and challenge you to do better and challenge you to do more. You know, maybe you should write this script. Maybe you should answer the phones and also help us sit in on this meeting and how we should shape the story, which is a lot of the opportunities I got at WBZ TV in Boston. Really helpful. So I don't think he thought I was terrible. Let me change that. He definitely thought I was terrible. I don't think he felt like it was odd that I was terrible. I was brand new, and he just didn't want to give me opportunities to be on camera or on air until I had more experience under my belt, which really ended up being very good advice. How do you not let those other people down the road, though, discourage you? Oh, because by then you've got a very thick skin. You're, you know, people tell you that all the time. I mean, it's just at some point stuff has to just roll off your back. And, um, and I think having people critique you who don't do what you want to do is it doesn't really upset you very much. I mean, I think it would be very different if Katie Couric called you up and was like, listen, you <laughs> are the worst ever and you shall never be an anchor person. <laughs> that might be devastating. Right, but like right. some dude behind a desk in a market who's never been any like what do they know you know or what they know is a small limited space and I used to give this advice actually uh, to other women who had gotten some bad news about opportunities and I'd say yes probably for this person in this place today you will not be anchoring yes they're right about that but there's a million other outlets there's a million other places to go and you will change and you'll grow and you'll get better it's a learnable skill these things aren't a a one-time final word death sentence. They're very clear on what your opportunity is going to be with this particular person right here. Over time, I've really become very grateful when people tell you that stuff. It sounds crazy, but actually it's the standard I find in TV news is to just bullshit people. Am I allowed to curse on this show? You're going to bleep it out. You're going to be in charge of bleeping it out. (laughs) But like people will just bullshit you forever. Oh my God, we love you so much. What we see for you is, but right now I need you answering the phone. And so six months later, you look around and you're like, gosh, I'm still answering the phone. You go back in, you know, we love you. We think you're amazing. We want you to be here. But then, you know, the third time around, you're like, I think these people are actually not serious about giving me a chance. That's happened in my career. I actually find those people who tell you bluntly, I do not believe you're going to make it here, are kind of helping you. They cut a lot of time out of that going back and going back and going back for more feedback because they're not going to lie to you. And so many other people are just telling you what you want to hear while having no intention of all of, of growing you or giving you opportunities. So it's very harsh. Obviously, it's very painful. But you know what? You know, under this person here at this time, it's not going to it's not going to happen for me. Now, the beauty of TV news is people get fired left and right. So like three months later, that guy's gone (laughs) and you become whatever you want to be. But in seriousness, I actually thought those people are really giving you a bit of a gift um, because they're they're saving you time. And to have someone say, I don't see a future here means you get to go and figure out who you want to work with and who you want to work for someplace else advice would you give to women who are afraid of being outspoken because they might pay a penalty for that? Yeah, they will. I mean, I'd say, yes, you will. So what are you trying to accomplish? I I always try to operate from a, what's the goal here? What are we trying to get to? And if the goal is to keep your job, 
maybe the best answer is keep your mouth shut, keep your head down, just plow through, show up, make sure you're there 15 minutes before the day officially starts, make sure you leave 15 minutes after your day officially ends, and you will get paid every two weeks, and you will keep your job, probably. But if you have any ambitions that are greater than that, if you're trying to be a voice for something or trying to understand something or want to stand up for something, at some point, then you have to figure out how to be outspoken or even just spoken in a, um, in a way that, that moves people to act. So it's always like, what's, what's the goal? I think sometimes we think about spokenness as just being a jerk, and it doesn't have to be. I think people, there are certain people who really appreciate someone highlighting things. And you know, our mutual friend, Keith Reinhart, who I just love him, and I know he's the best, and we love him. But one of the things I think he does so beautifully, he's a very outspoken guy who has the manners of a prince. You know, he'll never (laughs) say, like, that was the stupidest idea I've ever heard, right? He'll say, so one thing I want you to think about over the weekend is that idea and and other oh, how would other people might receive it write down some thoughts about what might be some of the upsides and some of the flaws in that idea and then i think on monday we should walk through it again right yeah. and then he brings you to understanding and it's the most lovely i wish i were that i'm not i'm the person who's like that is a stupid idea <laughs> but but he really helps people and brings them along in a way so that doesn't dismiss their ideas that that really helps them grow. And I just love that in him. He's really, my husband is a lot like that too. He just has a really lovely way of helping people walk through things and not being judgy. And so I think you can teach someone or help them be outspoken and it doesn't have to be rude and interruptive and obnoxious and nasty and unpleasant, which is sometimes how we, I think women especially, think of the word outspoken. I think you can be outspoken and be a really lovely person who helps bring consensus to a room and hears a lot of voices. So your voice is being heard, but it's not framed in an unpleasant way. What do you say to people who say you've become too political, especially on social media? Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, I've always sort of been political. I, I try to stick within the bounds of the social media guidelines of the organization. And so since I run my own company, my social media uh, guidelines are really around truth and honesty and calling out bullshit. I'm cursing so much. I really do curse a lot. I'm sorry. But I mean, I really truly think that we're at a time where you have a responsibility to an audience to say this thing is just not true. It is not factual. And it's an interesting time because even the media will highlight things and take you know, chunks of quotes of things that are just overt lies. They're just 100% not true. So I, I really feel like I try to stick to conversations around that, certainly around politics and show examples. But also, for me, social media, I use it as a way to express my opinion. Um, It's not a show. I'm not compensated. Sadly, I'm not compensated by Twitter. Um, So for me, that's how I use social media. And anybody who hires me to do a thing is well aware when they bring me in that this is what I do. And and if it makes them uncomfortable, you know, then they they shouldn't and they don't. Coming up, Soledad O'Brien explains how having a thick skin paved the way for entrepreneurship. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. 
the chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out the quirkier side of life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. You said when your CNN show was canceled, you said you never felt like, oh, my God, this is over. Your career is over. What advice would you give to women who want to move past something that might seem like a career setback? You know, I've been a big proponent of taking notes and making lists. And I think... um, and following your gut on things. When my CNN show was canceled, I remember just feeling some relief. Same exact feeling I had relief when I broke up with like terrible boyfriends. You know, you're like, oh, I'm so sad for me. But oh, my God, that is so amazing. I actually, (laughs) I never really liked him that much anyway. And I I loved working at CNN, but there were some issues with it. And, and, And I thought I had a boss who really just didn't you know, support me. And he told me that, which, again, I look back and I, I'm really grateful for that. I mean, he made it very clear, like, this is what I see you doing here. And it's a real luxury when someone gives you that, because then you can make a very informed decision about your next steps. So I thought, oh, this is a really good time to take the stories that I like and, and see if I can have a viable business off of my name, which is pretty well known, and the work that I did, which had a good reputation, versus, hey, I should play second fiddle and just kind of hide out over here. But listen, those checks will clear, and I'm going to get paid, and I can keep paying my mortgage. I had actually been pretty frugal when I was at CNN. And so I, I had a ton of money saved and I left with a bunch of money. And so it, it, I say that only to say it allows you to make decisions around like really where my heart is on something versus, listen, I got to pay tuition tomorrow and I've got to pay my mortgage and I've got all these expenses. So I am going to say yes, no matter what, because I have expenses that I, I have to, to have to meet. Um, I was in a really... Um, a really good position of being able to make a decision around what I thought was my personal viability in terms of a business. And and that was a great position to be in. So sure, it's upsetting. I mean, who wants to get, you know, and, and I, I never got fired. They, they offered me a job that was a, a job that I thought was below what I could do and what I should be doing. And so I, I turned it down, you know, which is, I think, semantics to some degree. They didn't want me to anchor the show I was doing, and I didn't want to take another position. But... Um, I really did appreciate, like, they were very clear about, we want you to do X, and I did not like X, so I could say, no, thank you. Often people lie to you, and they say, oh, we see quite a future here. And I think if I had done that, if I had been talked into staying and then looked back and said, oh, my gosh, this is what this organization is becoming, I think that would have been really um, more upsetting and more problematic, and I probably would have squandered some of the time and the leverage that I had to start a new company. You said networks such as CNN have a diversity problem. How does that affect the women, the diverse women in the room? I think the diverse women in the room, if they've been around a minute, have just seen the same old, same old. I mean, the conversations people have about diversity in media are the same conversations I had in 1989 at WBZ TV when I was getting coffee for people while attending the diversity meeting because I was low on the totem pole. They just haven't changed. And actually, I think the number of Latinos in newsrooms has gone down in the last five years or so. It's just terrible. And and listen, I, I just don't I think these issues 
if you want to confront them, are fixable. And the fact that they're not fixed is um, an indication that people really don't want to fix them. You know, the other day on Twitter, actually, and I really do enjoy conversations on Twitter, not just political ones, um, the guy who does the internships for the New York Times was tweeting about, you know, just here's the kind of schools that we'd like to get our interns from. And they were all the top tier schools, Harvard, where I went. Uh, I think Ms. U was on there, Columbia, I believe. You know, and, and the, the follow, people followed up with this idea of like, so you recognize that there's so few diverse people who go to those schools. Those schools themselves don't have very many diverse people. So you're ticking off all of these top tier schools, which is where you want to hire people. Do you not understand how this connects to your diversity problem? There are plenty of excellent students who go to other schools that are not Harvard. And I went to Harvard and I liked Harvard. But there are plenty of really brilliant people who just went to other places and there's no correlation that somehow Harvard makes you a better journalist. But I thought he was really revelatory, right? I mean, I found, and I actually answered him and said, you know, we get most of our interns from CUNY, and they're great. Their skills are phenomenal. I mean, when I came out of Harvard to do my internship, like, I was very agreeable and could run errands fast. <laughs> Today, we actually, interns have skills, like editing and shooting and can report and have done stuff. And our CUNY interns are amazing. But it, it's it's so sad to me to see that they're not even on the list. I think by the time he, he put his 10th or 12th school down, he began to realize the feedback was, like, do you understand how many people you're cutting out of this by telling everybody, like, this is how we pick? This is where I pick, you know, my favorite people. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's sad. So those conversations really haven't changed. So I think diverse women are like, yeah, we get it. And they know because they're in it. They understand. A lot of young women need someone to tell them that this life isn't in their own hands. How come? Well, you know, especially for the scholars that we have, we run a foundation, we send girls, especially really girls in poverty, frankly, off to college. And I think there's something very empowering and also terrifying in the idea like, it's up to you and you can solve it. The empowering part is like, you can solve this. If you don't have money, you can figure out where to go to school, how to work and go to school, how to go to school for free, how to get scholarships, how to how to make it work. It's hard, but you can do it. But no one's going to jump in and save you. It just doesn't work like that. In your career, too. Like, no one's going to, down on high, say, you are working so hard and we appreciate you. We are promoting you to vice president. It just doesn't work like that. I wish it did. I really used to think, like, if you just are a good little doobie and you work hard and you put your head down, you know, you're going to be rewarded. It does not work like that. You have to say out loud. Here's where I'd like to be. Am I doing all the things that I need to do? What am I doing wrong? What should I be doing better? How do I get from A to C? I think you have to do that. So the good news is it is in your hands. You really get to help direct that. But the bad news is that it's in your hands. And so if you don't do it, it really won't happen. Time now for your secrets. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'm a journalist and an author, and I run a production company. And my money secret is stolen from my mom, who said, always keep $10 in your bra, because if you want to get out of a place, you can just whip that money out of your bra and get in a taxi. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience, 
how 20 ambitious women use obstacles to fuel their success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.